Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, poison prank calls and Putin, the trials of Alexei Navalny. I said to the flight attendant and I kind of shocked him with my statement, uh, well, I was poisoned and I'm going to die. And I immediately lay down uh, under his feet. In late August, Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, who led a failed mutiny against Putin, died in a helicopter crash. He's not the only one of Putin's enemies who've been targeted. Alexei Navalny is one in a long list of Vladimir Putin's critics who have been victims of unsolved shootings, suspicious suicides and poisonings. Opposition leader Alexei Navalny survived attempted Novichok poisoning, one of the sharpest thorns in the side of Putin. He's faced years in solitary confinement. Can his movement survive without him? He is a martyr and he's amplifying the movement because there's nobody really who could replace him as far as I can see. I'm Rory Tevlin and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by freelance journalist and Russia analyst Jason Corcoran to profile Alexei Navalny. He is the most prominent and recognizable Russian opponent of Vladimir Putin. But who is Alexei Navalny? Alexei Navalny is an opposition leader in Russia and a very prominent anti-corruption crusader. By my estimate, Navalny represents the biggest challenger to emerge in Putin's 23 years in power. He was born in the Moscow region and he was a law student. And I think he practiced for a while before he started to get involved in politics. I actually, I met him in 2011 when he first came to prominence uh, in the national media. I, I was working for Bloomberg News in Moscow and I remember we arranged to meet in his office in a place near Pavletskaya train station. It was a very dilapidated office block and uh, we, we couldn't find it. And Navalny had to come out on the street to meet us and lead us through this warren of corridors. There was a reason why he'd chosen this office because there was a cat and mouse game with the FSB who were constantly raiding and kicking in the office and trying to get their hands on his, his hard drives. Navalny at this stage was, he was taking stakes in Russia's big companies, energy companies like Rosneft and Gazprom and some of the biggest banks uh, to gain access to their financial records. And I remember a story that we covered at the time. He actually published a report 
looking into the uh, the affairs of Transneft, which is a state-owned company involved in transporting oil through pipelines. His report covered that there was an embezzlement of $4 billion by management, so it was quite sensational. And even at that stage, did you get the sense, having met him, that he was destined to be this uh, kind of, you know, iconic figure in his opposition to Putin? I got an inkling. Um, our interview was actually recorded uh, on camera. And afterwards, he said it was the first English language interview he ever did on camera. He was, he was quite charismatic. And the one thing that struck me about him, he was completely driven about cleaning up Russia's huge swamp of corruption. Even though at that stage he was a political rookie, he told me that, about his ambition to become president of Russia. Although there was at that time, there was no route for him to realistically take on Putin. Later that year, he did help to organize, this is 2011, I think, he helped organize the biggest protest since the fall of the Soviet Union, when 100,000 Russians came out to protest against um, alleged vote rigging in the Duma elections. And I was there on Bolotnaya Square in Moscow, and there was a real feeling of change in the air. There was a number of protests that year, and authorities just seemed really rattled. And But then there was a, a very severe clampdown afterwards, and uh, basically Putin had been out of power for four years from I think 2008 to 2012 and then he came back and then the liberal honeymoon under Dmitry Medvedev ended and all these guys who were supporting uh, Navalny they were made example there was young kids students who were thrown into prison on spurious grounds for like six or seven years so when was Alexei Navalny first imprisoned and, and why was he put behind bars uh, Navalny has has been in prison and in detention. I mean, sort of home detention for like about ten times. He spent hundreds of days prior to his current sentence in custody. Uh, the first time I can recall, he was put in prison for about fifteen days for obstructing traffic at one of those very early protests. And then the most serious time was in two thousand and thirteen. He was sentenced to five years in prison on dubious charges and he was let off in chains. I was in Moscow at the time and this triggered a spontaneous protest in, in Moscow and several other large cities, uh, which the authorities, no, you normally have to get permission to have a protest. So this was an, deemed an illegal protest. And I remember I, I was covering the protest um, and it was it's at the National Hotel and there was thousands of people just running around trying to evade the riot police. And I was being pushed up against uh, the window of the National Hotel. And then incredibly, a day later, Navalny was freed until an appear, appeal could be heard. This was completely unheard of. This sort of thing never happens in Russia. So this sort of showed the power and the influence he had. The next time he was jailed was was much later. It was, I think, in early 2021. He was jailed for violating the terms of a suspended sentence for fraud from 2014, a long sort of dragged out case. And this case was based on the failure to report regularly to police during 2020. And his lawyer said this was this was crazy because as the authorities full, knew full well, he was getting treatment in Berlin uh, for, for a Novichok, a nerve agent attack in Siberia. So it, was, it was physically impossible for him to report uh, in, to, to authorities. So he is no stranger to the, the, the vagaries of the Russian legal system, uh, we could say. But a new sentence was handed down to him recently. What exactly happened in that case? Yeah, a, a court in Russia has extended Navalny's prison sentence in early August, actually, by 19 years. 
and have sentenced him to a special regime with the harshest uh, conditions in the country. I think he was found guilty on six counts. The man widely seen as the Kremlin's most vocal critic, Alexei Navalny, has told his supporters not to lose the will to resist after having his prison sentence extended from nine to 19 years. Mr Navalny was found guilty of inciting and financing extremist activity and creating... This verdict means that he limits his ability to meet visitors, his family, or to receive letters uh, from his lawyers. And the conditions will further limit his ability to direct the opposition movement, which he's been doing uh, seemingly from behind bars by passing information and letters to his lawyers and to his relatives. Uh, despite all this, I mean, I think it's remarkable. I've, I've known him for quite some time now. He's retained his very wry sense of humor. When he got his new sentence, he he he, he likes you know U.S. drama, and uh, he 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 cited the TV series The Wire. And there's a character in The Wire. I can't remember his name, but he, the character said, "You only do two days. That's the day you go in, and that's the day you come out." And Navalny even had a T-shirt with the slogan, uh, but the prison authorities confiscated his T-shirt, so they, they considered the print to be extremist. Vladimir Putin does not welcome opposition to his reign, shall we say. But how exactly does Vladimir Putin deal with Navalny and the threat of his opposition? Putin, uh, basically, he, well, in public at least, he refuses to acknowledge uh, Navalny by name. He refers to him as that person or the Berlin patient from the time that he was uh, poisoned with Novichok. It's actually quite strange because he's never had a problem naming other opposition guys, such as Mikhail Khodorkovsky or Boris Nemtsov. I think uh, Putin's idea is that if he names Navalny, it would bestow him with some sort of power or more importance. But I think by not naming him, I think it has probably had the opposite effect. So even though he's locked up, you know, conceivably for a very long time, he, his name still has a lot of resonance. And he's the person that would, you know, he does galvanize the opposition even for, even when he sits in, a, in the gulag. Um, for many people in this part of the world, I suppose the poisoning incident was the first time that they became familiar with uh, Alexei Navalny. Uh, tell us a bit more about what happened there on the, on the flight from Siberia to Moscow. Yeah, Navalny was, he was in Siberia. He was in a place called Tomsk, it's a big city. And he was doing some uh, support for a candidate of his uh, who was running for, I think, for local elections. So he came back after a few days. He was on a flight and he slipped into a coma. And there was actually video, a very distressing video of him screaming in agony on the flight and writhing around on the ground. And the pilot uh, made an emergency landing at another airport, another city in Siberia called Omsk. And uh, he got an emergency treatment. I think Navalny and his family said afterwards that pilot saved his life because if he had carried on to Moscow, he wouldn't have survived. Uh, the Russian authorities, they initially prevented uh, his, his family and his wife from transporting him abroad for treatment. But eventually a lot of pressure was, was brought uh, on Putin and Putin um, allowed him to, to fly to Berlin where he, I think he received treatment at the charity clinic in uh, Berlin and he, then he recovered very slowly. He's not the first opposition figure or dissident to um, be, be poisoned in such a manner. But who did Navalny believe was responsible for it? Uh, yeah, when Navalny came to, uh, he placed the blame firmly at Putin's door. 
And I think for the, the simple reason is that the use of Novichok, you know, not very many people can get their hands on, on, on Novichok. And poisoning is a favorite method of the Kremlin's secret services. It's the most toxic uh, agents invented by the uh, humans. So it's a new type of Novichok, which prove that unfortunately Putin have a developing new program of this chemical weapon, which is forbidden. Putin, of course, is a Czechist. Uh, he was a KGB officer in Dresden, and he ran the FSB for a period. And over the last century, and even in modern times, Russian spies, they've perfected ways of administering uh, invisible poisons, sometimes to warn um, the dissidents or traitors, and sometimes to kill. And unbowed by this horrific incident, Navalny soon set about trying to find out exactly who was responsible. Tell us a bit more about that. It's got a fascinating story. So Navalny was recovering in Berlin, uh, in Germany, and as part of his recuperation, uh, everybody does this sort of thing, he teamed up with Bellingcast to find, try to find the perpetrators. And some of the listeners, they may have seen the excellent Oscar-winning documentary, Navalny. And uh, I think for, the, for me, the most sensational part is when Navalny actually rings up some of his would-be assassins and he actually gets one of them to confess on tape it's hilarious and shocking. It's pure Keystone Cops. So with the help of Bellingcat, they tapped into Russia's black market for data where you can access phone records and bank details as long as you pay for it. And this allowed uh, Bellingcat and Navalny to track the contacts and movements of the team of medical doctors and chemical weapons experts from the FSB who had been following him for years. So Navalny rings up two of these guys from the FSB agency who allegedly tried to murder him. One of them, one of the guys recognized him immediately, his voice, and hung up. The second guy is a guy called Konstantin Kudratsov. He was less streetwise and he was fooled into thinking he was talking to an aide working for a very senior FSB general. So Navalny pretended that he was this guy, a fictional uh, sort of... Uh, a military guy, Maxim Ustinov, I think, or something. And he asked Kudratsov for details of the operation and wanted to know how it had gone so wrong and Navalny survived. Here's an excerpt from the phone call. Okay, then tell me what kind of clothes it was applied on. What was the main focus? What's the riskiest piece of clothing in theory? Well, underpants. Underpants. Kudratsov apparently then confirmed the FSB was behind the poisoning. He said that him and his, his uh, colleagues had applied the Novichok to uh, Navalny's boxer shorts, to the inner seams of the boxer shorts, when Navalny was staying in a hotel in Tomsk. He even confirmed the color of the boxer shorts, and you can see Navalny's reaction, although he doesn't he doesn't show it to uh, to Kudratsov on the line. So it's it's quite quite incredible to see. Wow, so it's, it's fair to say there's fairly strong links unearthed by this investigation to the Russian government. But how did Putin respond when this became public? Yeah, no, yeah Putin uh, fairly uh, came out fairly quickly and he said he acknowledged the FSB had been following Navalny on, on, on many trips across Russia when he was doing his electioneering, but that it was necessary because Navalny was a US spy. He was working for US intelligence. It's a claim that Navalny has always denied uh, Putin, of course, ran the FSB, FSB before he became president. 
Moscow has said it is yet to see the evidence of a crime and never opened an investigation. They even suggest that Navalny had been poisoned in Germany uh, uh, before he, he, he entered into a coma. And what became of the operative who, uh, for want of a better term, spilled the beans on the operation? Yeah, we, we're not really sure. In the documentary, Navalny and the Bellingcat journalist Christo Grozev, they they said that Kudratsov probably was killed because he was tricked and made a fool. Uh, we don't know for certain, but there were some reports in the Russian media, media suggesting he vanished in December 2020 and uh, his belief to be killed. There's been no sign of him since, unfortunately. Obviously, there was a, a prolonged um, period uh, trying to recover from this, but what exactly did Navalny do next when he had kind of uh, come back from uh, the poisoning incident? Unlike um, his other dissident uh, forebears uh, who believed that they were fighting for principle and integrity, uh, but they can never defeat the system, Navalny actually thinks that his actions can shape the future of Russia. He believes that he can inspire others by acting with courage. So rather surprisingly for many, I actually wasn't that surprised. I always thought he would come back. He, with the very sizable media entourage, uh, flew back to Moscow and to uh, Domodedovo Airport, where he was um, he was captured by, by by the Russian FSB and uh, and then taken and then charged. And at this point, uh, given the the extremely draconian sentence he's just received, is, is is there any prospect of him getting out of prison anytime soon? I think it's it's unlikely. Navalny is only getting out if there is a palace coup, an internal move to de- decapitate Putin effectively, or if there is, um, or if they lose the war in Ukraine, and that that forces reg- regime change. So, but time is on Navalny's side. Navalny is is forty seven, and uh, he's he's reasonably well, although he has been on a hunger strike and he has some some back problems. Putin is seventy; he's not going to live forever. So, if there is a regime change or if there is defeat in the battlefield, um, you know, I, I I could see I could see a Russia where Navalny emerges and perhaps is somebody who's palatable to the West um, in terms of doing a deal and and ending this war. And in terms of Navalny's crusading, obviously this would have had a, a pretty horrific effect on his family life. Has it, have his family spoken out publicly since um, the recent sentencing? Um, yeah, I think uh, Yulia Navalnaya, uh, his wife, uh, she, she's you know been very frustrated. She has been unable to visit Alexei for I think like eighteen months now. She she of course she attended the Oscars with her daughter and son and collected the Oscar. And uh, I think at the time she said Putin is personally keeping him in prison. My husband is in prison just for telling the truth. My husband is in prison just for defending democracy. Uh, Alexei, I am dreaming the day when you will be free and our country will be free. Stay strong, my love. I think since then, I mean, lately she's been keeping her counsel, but uh, her, her daughter, who's, who's studying in, in the States, uh, has been very active. And uh, she actually picked up the Sakharov Prize, a very prestigious human rights uh, prize on behalf of her father. So they're, they're, very, they're very much involved in keeping his name in the media and, in, and they keep trying to keep his spirit alive. And in terms of Navalny's um, previous links to uh, far-right extremist groups, 
have they been overplayed or is that something, uh, that connection, something that uh, people should know more about? Yeah, I think um, it is very, it's worth highlighting. Uh, They are, I think, historical. Um, When I was in Moscow um, initially, I think he arrived in 2006 and there was a number of these nationalist Russian marches. And I think one or two, definitely one at least in 2008, 2009, Navalny attended um, it was an annual demonstration of ultranationalists, and these guys were wearing swastikas and and, and making those those uh, those uh, Hitler salutes. And but he was walking. I remember he was walking alongside a Jewish journalist, Yevgeny Albats, and she actually wore a giant star of David on her jacket. And I spoke to Navalny about his attendance at that um, demonstration. And he was he said it was about galvanizing anybody but Putin factions. So he said he was interested in bringing in communists, skinheads, national Bolsheviks, uh, all sorts, anybody who was against Putin to try and broaden the opposition. In the normal world, in the normal uh, political system, of course, I would never be in the same political party with them. But we are creating coalition, broader coalition to fight authoritarian regime just to achieve the situation where everyone can participate in election. Because a lot of politicians will be uncomfortable with even associating or being in the same photograph with one of these guys. No, You're comfortable with that? I, I'm okay with that. And I'm, I consider it's, it's my political superpower. So he's just trying to broaden the appeal of the opposition movement. So that was his justification. So, yeah, I mean, I take it a little bit, uh, you know, on merit. And finally, with uh, Navalny still behind bars and no prospect of him, him getting out, can the movement that he sparked push forward or is him being, you know, almost made a martyr actually amplifying the, the dissent? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think he he is a martyr, and he's he's amplifying the movement because there, there's there's nobody really uh, who could replace him, as far as I can see. And there's been lots of infighting uh, in in his group, especially with Navalny uh, locked up in the Gulag, and other guys like potential sort of replacements, like Ilya Yashin and Vladimir Karamorza are also locked up in prison. The others who remain, and they're all in exile, really, like uh, Luba, um, Zolkov, uh, they don't really have his charisma. They don't have his power of rhetoric and his ability to front these uh, YouTube exposés that he's he's become renowned for. And he also comes up with these very stinging phrases in Russian. There's one that really has a lot of resonance to Russians. It's Partia Zhulikov Ivorov, which is the party of crooks and thieves, to describe Putin's ruling party. It's a phrase and chant that really stings Putin and is used now by everybody at ra- rallies and in everyday conversation. And my thanks to Jason Corcoran. I'm Rory Tevlin and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Dave Hannerty with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from 60 Minutes, BBC News, Bellingcat, The Washington Post, MSNBC, the Oscars and the Navalny documentary film. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.
We're offering Indo Daily listeners 50% off an Irish independent digital subscription. Head over to independent.ie forward slash redeem to sign up for unlimited access to premium content, e-paper, puzzles and more. Just enter the code INDO, that's I-N-D-O, to receive 50% off your subscription. Stay informed and engage. Subscribe today.